All right. Hello and welcome just to family. This is giving you something to talk about or just a live TV as I like to call it. I'm your host, Melissa Kretschler. I'm an identity coach, spiritual teacher, business mentor, creator and founder of not only just a live TV, but also the Women Supporting Women Can Network. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about autism. So I'm super excited for today's episode. Um, I can't wait to get into this topic. Um, today's episode has been sponsored by a Phoenix identity. Do you want to unlock your genius and start living a truly authentic life? Go and check that out. Join us for a clarity session um, and get started on becoming the version of yourself you know you're meant to be. So go and check that out. Link in the description. I'm going to hand it over to our guest speaker today, Christy Russell. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Christy Russell. I am a business consultant, a wife, a homeschool mom to three teenage boys. Actually, one is not a teenager anymore, and I graduated him. So two teenage boys, I homeschool. Um, and in 2012, my youngest son was diagnosed with autism. Um, and so we have spent the last decade kind of learning about autism and learning about disability advocacy and ways that we can best support him. Absolutely. So a lot of people are maybe not aware and maybe it's becoming more aware is, so I like to, not like to, but I do usually tell people that I, I feel like I am on the autistic, autistic spectrum. And one of the reasons I say that is because people who generally from my experience and what I've seen is people who do have autism are geniuses. In one form or another, there is an area where you are exceptionally knowledgeable about that subject, whether that is electronics, whether that is, um, whether that's taking things apart and putting them back together, uh, physics, anything. There, there is usually some form of genius in there. And mine is emotional and mental health and well-being. I can, you can give me any scenario and I can tell you how you got there, what you're thinking, how you're feeling. And it's, it's creepy that I can do this, right? I can put myself in anybody's position. And so to go down that road, I think people, where I'm going with this is it's not easy to assume that just because somebody has autism, that they're going to showcase um, the traits of being autistic or showcase the, you know, the very severe, um, autistic, uh, qualities such as, you know, nonverbal or anything along those lines. Sure. So, um, yeah, that's a lot to unpack. So yeah. there are, I think there are a couple of things that you said in there. So one of the things that you mentioned is that you think that perhaps you're autistic as well. Um, so definitely there are autistics who um, have high intellect or are extremely knowledgeable in one area or another. Um, and then there are also people who, like my son, um, have an intellectual disability. So he doesn't have that same um, trait being extremely knowledgeable or um, a genius in one area, but it is certainly true that a lot of autistic people, um, one of the qualifying traits of people with autism is that they tend to have high interests. And if you're highly interested in something, then you're going to study that thing and become an expert in that thing. Um, another thing that 
I think is worth unpacking is that women um, tend to not be diagnosed as early or as an often as boys are. So I just looked up statistics before we hopped on here and, and these are American statistics, but um, this year the CDC says that one in 36 children in America are diagnosed with autism. And that's four times more common in boys. Um, and the reason for that is that the DSM, and again, we're talking America, because that's where I am, um, which is the, the manual that provides all of the different traits for diagno diagnosing autism are based on white men, right? So females tend to, um, one, not get diagnosed as often and as early, and two, females generally are better at masking the symptoms so that they can, not symptoms, but autistic traits, so that they can fit in best with their peers. And females just in general are, are empathetic people, right? And so they tend to be able to do that. Um, it's more, I, I would say genetically, um, they have a more genetic inclination to mask those symptoms than uh, boys do. So what would autistic symptoms look like or, or? Sure, so it varies, right? Um, there are people who have significant support needs. Um, and so they may not be able to do activities of daily living. They may need help with um, making their breakfast or communicating, right? So some people with autism um, don't speak orally. They use technology in order to speak. Um, and that doesn't mean that they can't speak, they just do it through a different means. Um, stimming is something that we hear a lot about with people who are autistic. So hand flapping, rocking, spinning. Um, and then other autistic traits are, again, talking about that um, high interest, not being able to move away from something that they find incredibly interesting. So a lot of times in young children, you'll see that they line toys up in lines or they arrange things in rainbow order, kind of making their own order out of what they feel is a messy situation. Um, so those, those are things that commonly parents will, you know, not speaking verbally, lining toys up, flapping their hands, spinning, rocking, those are usually all signs um, that parents first look to when they're getting a, a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so are there different variations to autism or are there um, different conditions or diagnoses that can come along with? I've heard of Asperger's. Um, I, I know a few people who have Asperger's. Um, do they go hand in hand or do you think that they're they're just more commonly um, associated? Yeah, so with the, and again, I apologize that I keep talking about the DSM, but that's no, the, the diagnostic manual that's, um, that's used now in the United States. So the most recent version of the DSM, DSM-5, actually took away the Asperger's diagnosis. Um, and instead says that autism is a spectrum. Everybody has different support needs and they base the diagnostic criteria on the level of support that a person needs at that given time. Um, so, and, and everybody with autism has a different level of need. So 
while some person may need significant supports um, in activities of daily living, other people may need significant supports in communication or traveling or um, getting from point A to point B independently. So um, severity is a tough, uh, a tough word, especially in the autistic community because um, autistics in general feel like they need support and they need acceptance and they need inclusion. And so if we start to say this person has um, is more severely autistic than I am, then it could reduce the amount of support that they need in the area that they need it. Yeah. So what's it like being a parent of a child with autism? Yeah, it's definitely been a learning curve. Um, you know, it's interesting when my son was first diagnosed, we got all of the doom and gloom. They told us that he would never speak. He would never live independently. He would never be able to, um, to do anything on his own, probably would never hold a job. Um, and so that took a minute to sit with. And then we um, did all of the things that they tell you to do. That We went to all of the doctors and all of the specialists and did all of the testing, um, spent an exorbitant amount of money out of pocket in order to try and give the best life and get the most answers. Um, and then we kind of came into this place where we realized that he is who he is and he needs the support that he needs. And it doesn't matter how much money we spend in therapies and doctors, really what we want is for him to live his best life as his authentic self with the support that he needs. Um, and, and I think the best way that we came to that conclusion was um, really advocating with and beside people with disabilities. So I spent a lot of time in 2012, I started a nonprofit specifically for people with disabilities in our community and spent a lot of time working and listen, working with and listening to people with disabilities and their experiences. Um, and, you know, again, it comes back to people with disabilities want to be included in the community. They want to have jobs just like everybody else, and they need support in order to do that. Um, another statistic that I think doesn't get enough attention is that one in four people will become disabled in their lifetime. And if we start to think about the, that 25% of our population is gonna be disabled, um, and we don't start thinking about what services and supports people need in order to continue to contribute to the economy and have jobs and live independently, um, we miss out on 25% of our population being included in our community. So um, I think that as a parent, that's really my focus is to make sure that in the future he has what he needs so that he can live again, his authentic self um, independently, as independently as possible and in the way that he wants um, with the support that he needs. So I wanna jump into a question slash comment. Um, and just help the general population. Um, I've seen it time and time again. I've done it myself um, many years ago. Obviously, I'm a little bit different now. Um, 
I always made friends with weird kids and I say weird in the most loving way. Okay. Loving, absolutely loving way. I, when I was in elementary, I was friends with the young boy who would pee in the corner. Um, I was friends with an autistic, uh, young man in junior high who would literally walk down the hallway and go, Melissa to the office. And it's just like, that was his thing. Right. And he would hyper-focus on, on one person a day or a week or a month. Um, and I would always make friends with the people who were weird or not normal. And I asked, I quotations that because we're all weird and not normal. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to mention, and even from my own experience and the things that I've seen is when you come upon somebody who is different than you, or different than what you're used to, or not your stereotypical, in quotations, normal, um, you get a little bit creeped out. And and not you particularly, but in general, people tend to get a little bit creeped out. That has nothing to do with the person that you're dealing with. That has everything to do with the person who's feeling creeped out. And I want to make that a known thing for, for the general population and everybody involved. That has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with the person who is feeling that way. And I'd like to go into a little bit of why they feel that way. So if you happen upon somebody who is different than you, or somebody who is autistic and maybe nonverbal and maybe very, um, very agitated and doing the hand clapping and the spinning or rocking back and forth and shaking, whatever, whatever is going on in their inner circle, or maybe it's somebody who is you know, has, and we're going to skip into this one, who has Tourette's and is, you know, um, cursing up a storm um, at the drop of a hat for no reason, right? Um, you tend to step back and go, whoa. And a lot of the time, people don't know how to react to it. They don't know how to respond to it. And so instead of responding logically, they react emotionally. And your emotions, it's, it's kind of a fight or flight at that moment, because it's like, what do I do? What do I say? How do I act? What, you know, and, and it builds this anxiety internally of what do I do in this, in this situation? How do I interact with this person? How do I encourage my son and I and well, my whole family uh, went to a flea market. And while we were at the flea market, um, my son's ex-girlfriend had left her phone in the bathroom. And a gentleman had found it and had brought it out to her. I guess he had been watching us. Um, and he he had a learning disability. He he was disabled in one way or another. I, I'm, I'm not going to assume to know uh, how he was disabled, but there were clear indications that he was disabled. And she was very taken aback. And, and she reacted in that, not rude, but... I'm going to back away and not engage with you uh, because I don't know how to. Okay. And I don't fault her for it. She didn't understand. Mm -hmm. But my son, who is 20, stopped and said, hey, thanks. Like, that was really great. And he was just, he was talking to him in the way that I would talk to him. Very, very encouraging, very gentle, Um I don't want to say childlike because it's, it, but again, it's very gentle and very soothing the way that my son was talking to him. And we left and I said, I am absolutely and utterly proud of you right now. You just handled that 
beautifully. You didn't make him feel less than. You encouraged the conversation. You ended it as you needed to, um, but you weren't rude and you weren't put off by the fact that he had a disability. And that I think we need to focus a little bit more on. So um, I'll hand that over to you <laughs> to comment on. Sure. So I think that's the key, right? Um, I think all people are looking for human connection and interaction and authenticity. And um, different than the situation that you and your family were in, but you mentioned like hand flapping or waving and people responding in a flight or fight way. Um, the person who's stimming or flapping or spinning could also be reacting to the situation in a flight or fight, mm -hmm. fight way, right? Um, and so I think the best interactions that I've seen with my son are from people who are authentic and sincere um, and who also ask permission, right? Can I talk to you? Can I engage with you? Um, what can I do to help? And I think that, you know, just as humans in general, that's kind of what we crave when we're in that fight or flight situation is, um, I want to give consent to this person who is trying to help me in a way that's going to help me not continue my flight or flight um, reaction to the situation. And I think, you know, you also hit the nail on the head with um, making sure that the interaction is genuine and not childlike because just because a person has a disability doesn't mean that they um, can't comprehend the situation that they're in. It's just their body is not um, coordinating with the rest of what their mind is maybe wanting to do, right? Their body is having a, a reaction to the situation that may be um, counter to what their mind is actually telling them how they should be reacting or um, in a way that they want to react. Yeah. And so um, presume competence, right? So presume that the person that you're interacting with understands what you're saying and is um, and wants to make that connection with you. So what your son did was perfect because in any other situation, you would say, thank you for handing me my phone back. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Um, that's exactly, I think, the way that we should all handle kind of all interactions, right? We're in such a weird state in the world where everything feels like it's at odds with each other and people are quick to presume that um, there's bad intention rather than good intention. And if we go into situations um, presuming good intentions and responding authentically and genuinely, I think that we'll receive that in response. Um, so I, I agree, I think your son handled that beautifully. And having understanding um, and knowledge. Um, I went to go pick up my daughter from school the other day uh, on Friday and I recorded an interaction with a couple other people. I was across the street, so obviously I wasn't recording them to, you know, but I did want to make sure that that was on record if needed. Um, school zones and this has nothing to do with autism but everything to do with people's interactions mm -hmm. um um a gentleman was there picking up his child went and parked in somebody's driveway that's a very congested area and unfortunately the people at my daughter's school are horrid horrid people for parking and uh and uh, inconsiderate 
uh, behaviors. So the homeowner had gone up and said, excuse me, like, can you please move? Um, and it was, it became a very heated interaction. And I think that understanding that both of those individuals were in a very heated place to begin with, because this happens all the time. It's something, you know, and not understanding where the other person was coming from. And I think that's, that's my point going into this is you have to understand that you're not the only part of the interaction, right? So how you're feeling and what you're thinking is not the only part of that interaction. When you are interacting with anybody, it is, how is the other person feeling, right? I can have an interaction with Christy right now. And, you know, I'm smiling, I'm engaged. Uh, there's no, there's no, I, I'm not feeling cranky or in, internally upset. So it's not coming across that way. But if it was, you know, maybe something else had gone on for me. Maybe it had nothing to do with Christy and everything to do with, you know, where I'm at today. Um, and I think as individuals, whether you're dealing with somebody who has a disability, whether you're dealing with somebody who, again, quote, quotations, normal, because I don't believe in normal, um, but when you're dealing with people, understanding that that person is where they're at and understanding and having compassion and empathy and, you know, just the, the knowledge and the, the acknowledgement of where you're at makes a difference in how you communicate with people. I'm not going to walk up to somebody and automatically assume that their intention is to hurt me, make my day any worse than it already is. Um, or anything along those lines, I'm going to treat them with respect. Now, if they disrespect me, that's a whole nother story, right? If you come at me and I'm being nice to you and you come at me, then I, I have every right to come back at you. Um, is it right? Probably not, but that's just my volatile and vindictive self saying, <laughs> I'll be nice to you until. Um, until exactly. But but people don't do that. It's instantly, if you're in a mood and you interact with somebody else who's in a mood, it's instant clash. And understanding that, you know, somebody with autis autism or somebody who is autistic, um, they're going through a lot of stuff in their head. Like you have sensory overload, you have situations that, that create anxiety, um, you have wanting to be, you know, they, they still have feelings and emotions and in internally their mental health is all still there it just it's not connecting the way that it would right and so being disrespectful being hurtful being somebody who walks up and goes no back off that's that's not helpful and that that's again hurtful behavior right well and i think too you know particularly with autism but there's um quite a few disabilities that, you know, are labeled invisible disabilities. So if you see someone in a wheelchair, you know that they have a disability and there are certain accommodations that you need to provide for them so that they can be part of the community. Um, but with invisible disabilities, it could be a mental health issue, it could be autism, it could be an intellectual disability. You may not be able to see physically that that person has a disability. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head that we have to remember that we're all human, right? And we are all going through something. And the more that we can have compassion and empathy for a person in their situation and then respond accordingly, right? We don't have to escalate every situation and we don't have to react in kind to every situation. We can 
choose to lead with compassion and we can choose to lead with empathy. Um, and yeah, I wish more people thought like that. Life lesson. I've taught my children this. So my daughter comes home from school. She's 13 going on 14. So that whole scenario. Um, she comes home and I can see her walking up to the house and I can see the look on her face and I'm just like, oh goodness, here we go. Um, she walks in the house. I'm already on my way out to have a cigarette. So cross paths. I, you know, nod and just keep walking. Um, so I come back in and she's raging at me going, you never said hi to me. And she's giving me full blown attitude. And, um, I turned around and I, I calmly and smile because you, again, you come at me and I'm going to come back, but I calmly, I stood back and I said, listen, I said, I knew that you had a bad day before your butt even walked in this house. I could see it on your face. I said, I understand that you've had a bad day and I appreciate that. And you're entitled to feel whatever it is that you're feeling. You can go through the motions. You can be angry. Even if you're mad at me, totally fine. I said, but don't take it out on me. That is not okay. And I think that is a key piece that is missing in society today is whatever your mood, whatever the situation, you have no right to take that out on somebody else. And so um, even still, again, some people lack or not lack, but are unable to um, control that part of themselves or maybe unable to control their emotional, physical, uh, mental reactions to whatever stimulating their their mental health. Right. And so somebody who is autistic, if they're feeling cornered or overstimulated or stressed out or anxiety, they will react physically, emotionally, um, verbally, all of that, depending on where they are and how they react. It's, you know, so understanding that and taking a step back and going, okay, did I just create this reaction? Obviously not intentional. I'm going to take a step back, maybe ask the person that they're with, you know, what did I do? Can I do something to fix it? Do I need to back off? Right. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is if somebody um, is out in public and they have somebody with them and they have a disability, whether that be autism or, or any other disability, um, is it rude or, or ignorant, I would say, to ask the person with them, say, so, what's the, what's my best way forward here? Yeah. So I think it's, situational, but in most situations, it's appropriate to ask the person with the disability and then allow their support person to help them respond. Um, And, you know, to go back to what you were talking about with the behavior and the moods, um, one of the things that we learned early on is behavior is communication, right? So, and I think adults, anybody has this um, same form of communication where words just can't find the words but you can find an action that feels almost like what you want the word to represent right so um so understanding where the behavior is coming from I think is also important um but again back to back to your question I think that at least the people that I know who have disabilities um particularly people in wheelchairs people with CP or um, even autistic adults have always said that they 
would rather somebody ask them, how can I support you? Or is there something I can do to help than to um, be talked about or around? Um, and I, you know, again, I'm going to go back to, I think that's probably true of all people. If, if you're feeling some kind of way, you would rather somebody say, hey, what can I do to help you rather than ask your husband, hey, what can I do to help your wife? Um, and I think too that, you know, we tend to be scared to do that. We tend, we feel like there's this elephant in the room that everybody knows there's, there's a person with a disability sitting in front of us and they probably do need support. Um, and, and back to your comment about um, how we, our emotions stop us from responding appropriately to that person, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, in any situation, it's better to ask a person, is there something I can do? Is there something I can do to support you? Can I help you up the stairs? Can I help you um, get past whatever emotion it is? Is there something that I've done to, to make this situation worse? And how can I fix that in the future? Um, yep. Are you good? Do you need any? Are you good? Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, how's it going, right? Even just saying, how's it going, right? Yep. Um, and don't automatically assume, yes, yes, while people with disabilities, including autistic people, need additional supports, they don't always need it from you. So to automatically assume when you walk up to somebody that they, they, they need something from you, you know, maybe it's just a, hey, how's it going? Exactly. Right. Um, so always start with that. Always start with, hi, right? How are you? Or what's your name? Or, you know, what are you doing today? Right. Just Start the conversation as you would with anybody else, but do it calmly, do it with intentionally, intentionally, and do it with, you know, gen, general, like genuine interest. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we get going? Um, no, I really appreciate this conversation. We just wrapped up Autism Awareness Month. It was the month of April. Um, also known as Autism Acceptance Month. Um, and I appreciate the discussion. I think it's really important that we talk about this more openly. Um, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to do so. You're very welcome. We, that's what we want on the show, right? Is understanding and awareness. I am a non-judgmental you know, I would love to help the entire globe understand how to have healthy communication, how to, you know, take accountability for your own emotions and your own actions and be able to have a conversation without the anger and angst and anxiety and say, you know, my reaction's my own. I don't need to put that on you. And there, there are so many things that are coming about in 2023, 2020, like, you know, like, <laughs> We've been around for a very long time. It's it's time to start having these conversations and making people aware. And you know what? Asking the hard questions. Again, my question, um, you know, might have sounded ignorant to, to some, but it's it's a question that I'm sure people ask. Who do I say hi to? Who do I talk to? Who do I engage with? It's, you know, asking the hard questions and going, you know, there aren't any stupid questions. It's, I'd rather ask too many questions <laughs> than not, than, than do something wrong. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, um, listening 
to hear what the other person says rather than listening to respond. You know, I think that's the other piece that has been forgotten in the past couple of years is that um, we don't need to respond to everything. We can listen and take the information in and we can sit with it and learn from it. And we also don't need to keep everything, right? I could have said something that doesn't resonate with a person with a disability and they can toss it aside, right? We don't, it doesn't mean that everything that somebody says is um, something that you have to take and move forward with. You take what works for you and you can discard the rest. Yep. I should have put that in today's promotion. I have a PDF uh, called the seven ways you're destroying your relationships. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and one of them is listening. And it's, it, there are three different ways that people listen. And I tell this to everybody, the number one way people listen is you're listening, but you're not listening, right? You're listening, but you're like, mm -hmm, uh-huh, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. Just not even paying attention, right? The second way is you listen, but in your head, you're thinking of your response. You're thinking of your positioning. You're thinking you're listening to react. Mm -hmm. And then the third way is the listening to actually hear what somebody is saying. And when you actually listen to what somebody else says, you see the emotion, you feel the emotion, you see the body language, you pay attention to what that other person is saying without going, oh, that offended me or that that I'm, I'm going to pinpoint that one thing that you said and I'm not going to pay attention to the uh, 50 million other things that you just said. Um, and that's a big one. People don't know how to have healthy communication with anybody, even themselves, uh, half the time. I agree. I think you should drop that link because I think we definitely more people need to really understand what listening is. Right now. <laughs> See, now I'm going to pull it up because it is definitely a good link. Um, I'm going to go see where I have it. <laughs> it's one of two places. So let's quickly go find this one. Um, and yeah, if, if anybody watching or catching the replay has any questions, please, please feel free to reach out to Christy. Um, she does have a nonprofit for uh, people with disabilities. So go and check that out. Um, yeah, just start making the best of your relationships, your communication, all of that fun stuff, because it's so, so needed. Why is it's not letting me? Oh, there we go. Link shared. If you want the seven most damaging relationship issues, go and look at that now. Uh, link in um, in the comments, actually. So go and check that out. Um, all right. Thank you so much, Christy, for joining me today. I really appreciated your time and this conversation. I appreciated it too. It was fun. Thank you very much. Get away for the next one. Um, yeah. All right. For everybody watching or catching the replay, this is your episode. Go and check it out. Um, follow Christy links in the description, go and check out a Phoenix identity, either the clarity sessions or go check out my seven most damaging relationship issues. If you would like to be a guest speaker, blogger, or a sponsor of our show, please reach out to us at justalivetv.com, or you can find us giving you something to talk about or just live TV across social media platforms. Go and check out our past episodes, sign up for the new ones. 
I am Melissa Crashley, and I will see all of you on the next episode.